Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Large retail and e-commerce companies have made it easy for consumers to buy just about anything and everything online. But there's a new company in Chicago that is helping small businesses compete with the big guys so they can offer the same flexibility and speed of receiving their purchases. La La Move is an app-based, same-day courier service that helps with delivery for small businesses. The goal at La La Move is simple. Help local Chicago small businesses by providing affordable delivery for their customers. La La Move merges the rideshare model with courier services to deliver anything from flowers to furniture and everything in between. Right now, La La Move is offering free delivery for one month. Visit lalamove.com. That's lalamove.com to learn more. Hey, everybody. How's it going? We are live. Sorry for the bit of a late start there, live stream chat audience. Your Ben Jarofsky show is just moments away. By the way, your Ben Jarofsky show with a mystery guest. Whoa, mystery guest has already joined us, but we're not going to give away the mystery, right, D? That's right. Mystery guest Hank Tight. We're going to go through the show here and we'll bring you on. But today's Ben Jarofsky show for Thursday. January 28th is moments away. But before we go any further, let's thank our sponsors for bringing you this program. Sponsors like SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana. That is correct. Also sponsors the Chicago Federation of Labor. That is correct. And the Chicago Reader. Subscribe to Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com. Fantastic publication for all things the city of Chicago. What to do, what to eat, where to go. And columns from Ben Jarofsky himself. ChicagoReader.com. Subscribe. Thank you, Chicago Reader. Okay. We do have a song of the day today. Uh, Mystery guess is probably going to be like, what the hell? (laughs) She's going to get more than she asked for. Hello. uh, uh, Let me just get my voice together here, D. Yes, this is where we sing a song to make sure the live stream audience can hear us loud and clear. It's our uh, way of doing a sound check. Ben, your song of the day comes from Frank, and it is by Elton John. It's I'm Still Standing. I'm still standing. Yeah, 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 yeah. G, G, G. I don't remember anymore about that. I'm still mystery guest is like, she's like, oh yeah, I know that song from way back in the day. <laughs> mystery guest is like, man, what? I signed up for this thing. No, we'll get we'll get to the mystery guest. She enjoyed that rendition of Elton John. I'm still saying. <laughs> oh boy, the Ben Jarofsky show starts now. Thursday, January 28th, and live from my apartment and his attic, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, it's the oh-so-long-awaited return of Samina Mustafa. And now your host... Oh, there's the brown line. 
Chicago Raider columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this the Annotated Huckabee, and here's why. Sarah Huckabee Sanders announced she's running for governor of Arkansas. I'm not surprised. The current governor's stepping down, so there's a vacancy. Sarah's father, Mike, was a two-term Arkansas governor, so apparently... She thinks it's in the genes. To refresh your memory, Sarah Huckabee Sanders with Donald Trump's press secretary for a couple of miserable years back in, I don't know, like 2018. Seems like a century ago. Are you saying she Huckabee wrote, or Huckabee? Sounds Huckabee. Like, oh, sounds like you're Huckabee. saying. Sounds like saying what Huckle, am I saying? Huckabee, like that dog. <laughs> Huckleberry. Sarah Huckleberry Sanders. Anyway, to refresh your memory, uh, she was Donald Trump's press secretary for a couple of years back in 2018. I think it was, Dean. Don't quote me on that one. She routine, to routinely BSed reporters, bent the truth like a pretzel, served the president. You pick up the tab. That's my general problem with press secretaries, ladies and gentlemen, for the mayor, for the governor, whatever. They are public employees, but they work for private Bosses, they're like PR operatives for the mayor, the governor, the president, whatever. That's another story. Anyway, I mentioned yesterday that her campaign emailed me a fundraising pitch. Not sure why they keep sending them to me, but they do. And now as a public service, I'd like to break it down. Just to let you know that Trump may have left the White House. He may have been banished from Twitter, at least for the moment. But Trumpism is very much alive in this country. And his disciples are running for office. And they control the Republican Party. So, folks, this shit show is not over. So here we go. The fundraising letter opens like this. Friend, America is great because we are free. But today, our freedom and the rule of law are under attack. To remain free, we must have law and order and resolve our differences peacefully. Now, you may think that when Sarah mentions the need for law and order, she's talking about stopping Trump insurrectionists from storming the Capitol. But if you think that, you're wrong, as the next sentence makes clear. Quote, the radical left's solution is to impose government control and censorship from the top down. But their socialism and cancel culture will not heal America. It will only further divide and destroy us. See that, ladies and gentlemen? The radical left. That's the people she thinks need law and order. Radical left is a catchphrase that includes long hair, hippie type white guys and black people. Pretty much all black people, except for like the one, two, three, or four that showed up with the Capitol insurrectionists. And maybe the two, four, five, six, seven, and eight who actually did vote for Donald Trump. But all the other black people, they need law and order. And when she talks about cancel culture, she's not talking about Colin Kaepernick, who was banned from the NFL because he took a knee at the national anthem. No, she's talking about every right wing operative and politician who feels they have a God given right to say whatever they want to say, no matter who it offends. For the record, none of them have been canceled. They still have their radio shows, their TV shows, their newspaper columns, etc., which they use to whine about being canceled. As I like to point out, Rupert Murdoch complains about being canceled, and he owns Fox. Let's go on with the fundraising appeal from Sarah. Everything we love about America is at stake, she writes. And with the radical left now in control of Washington, your governor is your last line of defense, end of quote. I'd like to point out that the president of the United States is Joe Biden. The Speaker of the House is Nancy Pelosi. The president of the Senate is Charles Schumer. None of them are radical, much less left. They're mainstream Democrats. 
As such, they are subject to withering criticism from people who really are on the left. As anyone who listens to my show can tell you, check out my interview with Sam Holloway from just the other day, a real leftist, very critical of Joe Biden, or my interview with Leonard Goodman, another real leftist, or Miles Conflassen, or today's interview with Samina Mustafa. The list goes on and on. Joe Biden is a centrist. He got elected by promising to work with Republicans. He assured Democrats that Republicans really do want to work together, even though most Democrats know that it's just not the case. And it's not even clear if centrist Joe can get his programs through the Senate because of Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin, a Democrat from West Virginia, wants to form a moderate coalition with Susan Collins, Republican senator of Maine, to block anything that resembles basic liberal programs. So it's pretty clear that the radical left is not in charge. In fact, at any given day, the mainstream left is really irritated at the radical left. Sort of like, if you think about it, Mayor Lori Lightfoot's attitude toward Stacey Davis Gates. But that doesn't stop Sarah from inventing a made-up boogeyman that she can exploit to whip up support for MAGA as she goes on to pledge to defend your right to be free of socialism and tyranny. Man, if the only tyranny you face is having to wear a mask in a grocery store, you've had a good life, MAGA. Is this all a lie from Sarah? Of course it is. But as we've learned from her days as press secretary, She's really good at bending the truth. And speaking of Donald Trump, I just this got I just got this email update from the Huckabee campaign. Did you hear? Our campaign just got a major endorsement from Donald Trump. Sarah Huckabee Sanders is a warrior who will always fight for the people of Arkansas and do what is right, not what is politically correct. Sarah is tough on borders, tough on crime, and fully supports our great law enf- enforcement officers. End of quote from President Donald Trump. Unless, of course, it's MAGA that's hitting those great law enforcement law enforcement officers over the head with a hockey stick, then maybe Sarah doesn't support them that much. We got a great show today, everybody. Samina Mustafa will be here at two o'clock. We got a mystery guest, but I'm not going to say one word <laughs> about this mystery guest. Don't say a word. Not one word. Not one word. Zip goes my mouth. Instead, I'll turn things over to the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois, who our mystery guest will probably tell you back home in Alton is called Dr. D. Hey, how's it going, everybody? What's happening in Chicago and or Illinois, you ask? Well, we're about to find out. We begin in Chicago. And once again, we begin with our coverage on the Chicago Teachers Union. The mayor and her Chicago public school squad are still hell bent on getting teachers back into the classroom as their pandemic is over, but not really. Hey, let's try to reopen Chicago plan moves ahead. And the Chicago Teachers Union, yes, the people who read books for a living, they are still set on not returning to in-person learning. That is until teachers and students are promised a safe and healthy return. And we're going to be speaking with our mystery guest about this later on. But first, let's catch everyone up on today's news from the Chicago Sun-Times and Nadir Issa. The headline reads, CPS cancels in-person learning Thursday as impasse with CTU continues. Chicago Public Schools has canceled another day of in-person classes for preschool and special education students as it continues to negotiate over reopening all elementary schools with the Chicago Teachers Union. The The district told families in an email sent Wednesday night to not send their children to schools Thursday. The email said, quote, 
Chicago Teachers Union leadership continues to direct their members who support pre-K and cluster programs to remain at home. Therefore, we must ask parents to continue keeping your children home as we are unable to guarantee adequate staffing levels to cover in-person learning. We are doing everything in our power to reach a deal that satisfies the union's priorities and allows you to choose the instructional model that meets the needs of your children. We regret any distress this situation has caused, especially for children who have been learning happily and safely in their classrooms for the past few weeks. CPS remains fully committed to reaching an agreement that will allow our students in pre-K and cluster programs, as well as our (laughs) elementary school students who chose to come back to school. And for those wondering... Uh, those wondering what our Democratic Illinois governor has to say about a city of three million reopening its schools. Well, it's kind of strange, actually. Governor J.B. Pritzker, he's acting like none of this is going on at the moment. But Pritzker said at a new max or a new mass vaccination site in north suburban Grays Lake that getting Illinois vaccinated and open is, quote, going to take time and people are going to have to be patient. So, yes, patience is the game. Ben Jarofsky, question. When it comes to this dispute between the CTU and the CPS, who would you say has been more patient? <laughs> well, definitely uh, the Chicago Teachers Union has been more patient. If by patient you mean waiting until we have vaccine for all the employees who have to go back to the classroom before we reopen the schools, that would definitely mean that the Chicago Teachers Union has been more patient. And let me just, so much to unpack with what you just said, uh, Dennis. But one thing that just struck me when I was listening to you read that statement about children happily in the classroom. And it's like, I mean, it just it just goes, it's how preposterous this is. I love teachers. Everybody knows I love teachers. But I was not a great student. I'm just going to make a confession here, ladies and gentlemen. I was not a great student. I staggered through school and uh, in many ways was like really sympathetic teachers that socially promoted me to graduation that enabled me to get through uh, high school. It was like an ordeal. So this notion, it's like it's it's just so uh, made up, like the little children happily in the classrooms. It's like, man, some kids love school. I'm sure they're really happy. But I'm just speaking for myself. Most kids, like just hearing that press release bears no relation to reality. You know what I'm saying, Dean? So many kids are going through school. It's like, oh, man, I got another. And they, maybe it's like after school activity gets them through it. Maybe it's like the basketball team gets it through them or, or the drama program gets it through it or the music program or hanging out with their friends in the cafeteria. But I'm just telling just it's like they feed us this garbage day in and day out and expect us to eat it and call it lunch. You know, oh, those little happy children in the classroom. Just just hearing that, Dean, is like propaganda that the Trump White House might, right? Instead, it's coming from the Board of Education. And let me say this about J.B. Pritzker. Uh, Governor Pritzker, you know, I really uh, basically like what you've been doing, and I understand uh, that you're under a lot of pressure in the state, but it really would be nice if you showed some leadership in this one and used your authority. You know, I would like to see Governor Pritzker Senator Durbin, Senator Duckworth, who else? Who else is prominent from the state of Illinois? Gather together to ask President Biden to send in the vaccines we need. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is a a serious health crisis we're facing. We're asking all these employees to go back to school. In fact, it's a health crisis that's been existing since last March. 
and the vaccines became available. I don't know. When did they become available to you? In November? And we still don't have enough vaccines. I would say this constitutes like a problem, just to put it mildly, a problem. So I would like to see our leadership united. Instead of everybody just pretending as though this problem, this uh, potential labor breakdown between the Chicago Teachers Union and Lori Lightfoot doesn't affect them, doesn't involve them. They're not even aware of it, which is how our Congress people and our uh, senators and our governor are acting. I wish they would get together and help us find a solution, D, by demanding that we get the vaccinations, uh, the vaccines that we need so that employees get vac- vaccinated. That's just something I would like to see some leadership from the people uh, in Illinois. All right. Now, D, before you go a little further, I think it's time. Uh, to do something we don't usually do in the first hour and bring on a guest, a mystery guest. And I, this mystery guest, I uh, talked about uh, yesterday and I told a little story about many, many years ago uh, when I was a grammar school coach in Chicago. I got together uh, with Lisa Pugh, shout out Lisa, and uh, we put together a seventh and eighth grade girls softball team. And I, this was not the greatest uh, seventh and eighth grade girls softball team, to put it mildly. Uh, like one of my star uh, players, I put star in quotes, uh, came to me one time and said, Coach Ben, and I'm not going to name her names because I don't want to out her, but let's just say her name was Amber. Uh, she came to me and said, Coach Ben, I don't want to play today because my fingernails just, I don't know, she had these long fingernails. What coach, softball coach in the world has to deal with a star baseball player not wanting to play? Because, I don't know, she just got her fingernails fixed. Anyway, uh, this next guest uh, showed up one day. I'd uh, never seen her play softball before. She swung the bat. Man, she hit that ball so freaking far. Anyway, so I figured we're going to call her Slugger. So uh, welcome to the show, Slugger. I'm happy to be here. All right. So this is the reason I brought Slugger to the show. And I'm not giving a real name because she's a teacher in the Chicago public schools. And I'm very concerned that uh, any teacher who speaks the truth in Chicago these days is going to get punished. That's just I've got that in my mind. I saw what the Chicago public schools did to Troy LaRavier, the principal of Blaine. I go, you know what? You speak the truth around here and they punish you. So I, I can't live with that. Uh, I've known Slugger since she was in fifth grade. I love this girl. So I don't want anything bad to happen to her, but she sent me a, a, a text yesterday, right before the show, that really opened my eyes about what teachers know about what's going on uh, in Chicago. And so Mayor Lori Lightfoot, and uh, Janice Jackson, I, it seems as though you don't get to hear from Chicago teachers enough. You know, I mean, they're not part of the power structure at City Hall or the Board of Education. They're, they're just like these operatives that you send out into the field and you want them to be quiet and do whatever they tell you. Why don't you just listen to a teacher, uh, give a, a sense of what is really going on. So Slugger, let's start, uh, let's talk about, let's break down some of the things you told me uh, in that text yesterday from your experience. Um, you're one of the teachers that went back to school uh, January 11th. Is that correct? That's right. Actually, um, January 4th, pre-K and cluster teachers were asked to return, um, I guess, to set up and prepare for students on the 11th. I chose not to go in that first week just because I had no in-person students returning and um, it didn't seem, you know, to make much sense to go into a building that I did not feel was safe. Um, 
to return to. So yeah, so I uh, ended up going in the last two weeks and um, I saw a lot of stuff in those two weeks and I was with no students. I was with no um, other staff back yet. There was no um, K through eight back yet. That was just pre-K and cluster back. And so in that short time I saw, you know, I was in my room. I came in on the 11th. My room had a little tiny air purifier that they're saying is supposed to be so nice and, you know, safe and, you know, make sure our rooms are nicely filtered and ventilated. And it's this little small machine that they even said is only good for rooms that are up to 500 square feet. My room is, all of our classrooms are bigger than that. So we don't feel safe with just one purifier that there's, you know, on the news always saying is so safe. Um, and my, and immediately there was no PPE like they guaranteed us to be there supposed to be masks and, disinfectant wipes and just different things that weren't in there. So we had to like page and stop and find the engineer. Well, here comes the engineer, no mask. You have maintenance walking around with no mask engineers with no mask. Um, some of the staff that's already been back like clerks and, um, you know, tech codes and things like that. They just, you know, have just been, I think a little loose around there. Cause it hasn't been a lot of people, but that can't be the case when, We've got kids and more staff coming back. So, so let's just break this down for one second. So, uh, one of the things that we hear over and over and over uh, from the mayor and uh, the head of CPS is that everybody's wearing masks. You're telling me that when you went back to the school, there were just people, like the engineer, uh, walking around the building without a mask. Yes, that is correct. Um, several people actually, and that it goes in as high as the administration. So APs, principals, like everyone is, like I said, I think they've got comfortable that there's not a lot of people in the building. And so they were like, well, it's only a few of us here, so we don't need to wear a mask. But no, everyone needs to be wearing a mask. It does not matter if there's one or two of you in there. Uh, and another thing uh, that we've heard a lot from uh, the Board of Education, which really caught me off guard, uh, they put this out, I've seen it in the newspapers, that $100 million dollars this is what they say. A hundred million dollars was spent cleaning up the schools and preparing this. I had two reactions. Number one, where'd you find a hundred million dollars? Yeah. Just like last year, you were crying, you were broke. All of a sudden you found a hundred million dollars. Isn't that funny? How they could just find a hundred million dollars? Um, yeah, I wish I could find a hundred. So, but was there any evidence that there would be a cleanup of your school? Was your school clean? Um, they had these little signs, like when you go to a hotel and you put like, do not disturb every classroom handle had one and said it was like thoroughly deep cleaned by, you know, whoever it was like this little checklist that was sitting on my table that wasn't even checked off. And it was like a list of things that they were supposed to do before, you know, going and you're cleaning every classroom that wasn't done. I mean, me and my assistant, we went through in two weeks. I promise you this. We got a tub of 500 disinfectant wipes. We used them all in two weeks because we were wiping down stuff. We would wipe it down and be gray and black by the time we were done. We were doing the work once we got there. They were not already cleaned as if they were saying. And like you said yesterday on the show, um, the picture I sent you, that was from another school of a pre-K classroom. And she went in there and no heat. She's been sitting in her classroom with no heat. She's had students since the 11 preschoolers that are sleeping on their cots in cults because it's so cold in their classrooms. She then also, um, the kids are playing in the housekeeping area. There's dead mice everywhere. There's roaches everywhere, but they're so clean, right? 
So funny. Yeah, that's the that's the one that got to me. The picture of the dead mouse, and I talked about it a lot. And some of our listeners got they were giving me a hard time because they were trying to eat their lunch. So here we are talking about the dead <laughs> mouse again. Uh, and uh, so this picture, a dead mouse in the classroom. Yep, dead mouse and several of them, several dead mice in the classroom. Um, and then there was another section where there was like you know roaches that were like trapped to some glue trap that were meant for mice. So it's just. Like clearly, and these are with students in the classroom. So this is not like, oh, you've been gone for the summer and, you know, you come back and you got to no. this is, you know, I, mean, I, get we, I get we've been gone since March, but staff has been in there since August and even before that in the summer. So these rooms that have these nice little fancy signs that say they're so clean, that's not the case when teachers are going in and having to clean it themselves. Or when they go in and they see a dead mouse. Yeah, um, so when when you hear reports, uh, when you hear the mayor say, we've done absolutely everything we have to do to make sure it's safe. And when you see uh, the CEO of the Chicago P- Public Schools say, we've done absolutely everything we have to do to make it safe. And when you see them say, uh, tell the reporters that we spent $100 million dollars Uh, cleaning up these schools so that there's just no reason why teachers uh, should be afraid to go in. And they're just being whipped up by their evil teachers union. When you hear and see that stuff and you go into a classroom and you see cockroaches and mice and they all have heat, what does that do in terms of their credibility in your mind? Oh, it's shot. It is just absolutely shot. I mean, I, like I, I was telling this to you yesterday, my three-year-old daughter, when she sees Janice Jackson, the Lori Lightfoot get on the TV in a press conference, she goes, mommy, they're lying. They're all lying. And this is from a three-year-old's mouth. And that's just from her hearing me one time saying that after watching a press conference. But it's just a bunch of lies. Like people who are physically in these buildings know that it's a bunch of crap that they're saying. Like it's not that's not the case in these schools. And it may be in some schools, but I teach on the, on the West side. That's not the case for me. That's just not what my school looks like. And unfortunately administration, so principals and, um, uh, and, uh, APs are asked to, they're given a very basic or a skeleton plan of how to make your school safe. And then they're asked to then do the, you know, really make it come to life by asking teachers input and this, but with, if you go into a school today, it's not like someone was giving them, gave them a plan and said, yeah, do this. This is exactly what we need to do. No, we had to all meet weekly for hours to make these plans so that we felt safe when and if children and staff return into those buildings. So when they get on there and say it's ready, it's not. It's, so what it's staff doing in it. your, in your mind, what do you, uh, need to see happen before you feel it's safe to go back to classrooms with the kids in the classrooms? Um, I definitely believe the vaccination is a big step for sure. Um, that's just, you know, giving us all some safety that, you know, puts us in a better place. Um, I do feel like there needs to, I mean, they're not, they're not, they're making it seem these schools are so prepared. We have ventilation systems that are not that are not set up. I mean, I was there for two weeks and we had no heat in my actual classroom. The engineer was in and out saying that, oh, it's good. we're working on it, we're fixing it, we're gonna get to it. But it's like, this stuff has to be done before you're asking families to come back. I don't know why they're so set on February 1st. Like, if we're having issues, I've been in there for only two weeks and teachers have been there three weeks and are having these issues. We don't, we're not ready. We're not, February 1st is Monday. 
Like we are not ready. So let's make sure that we uh, continue to do remote learning. We can try to perfect that, keep that going. And then in the meantime, we're really getting these schools prepared. So vaccinations, making sure they're clean, making sure classrooms have heat, making sure the ventilation is up to par as they're saying. Um, and, you know, and it's in all these ADA accommodations, you don't have the staffing right now for, for everybody to come back. You're saying all these students are coming back on the first, but you have several students or I'm sorry, um, teachers who are going to be out because of ADA accommodations. So we are not prepared. And that's exactly why they told parents of pre-K and cluster students to stay home these past days because they knew they didn't have the staff without teachers. You can't run the school. So you got to get it to it where it's safe. And you have all this, we went out since March. We've had a lot of time to, to get these classrooms ready and let's just hold it off a little bit more until we you know, can get vaccinated. And that puts us all in a better place to be in front of students and, and staff. Uh, and by the way, the, when you refer to the ADA exemption, these are teachers who, uh, for whatever reason, maybe they're pregnant, uh, maybe they have some uh, health issues that really makes them vulnerable uh, uh, to uh uh, COVID-19 to have a serious health consequences from getting the virus. So uh, the bureaucracy has given them permission not to go back to the classroom. And this in itself is a joke. Uh, Slugger and I were talking about yesterday. I did a just column for the reader uh, where I was talking to other teachers. And I'm just, it's like, this is why teachers don't believe when the mayor gets up there and says, oh, everything's perfect and safe. Because there was the, the one story, which I wrote about, and then you told me it was, it was a common, it was uh, another teacher, not this one, another teacher got an email from the central office saying uh, that she had been exempted from having to go to the classroom and it was addressed to somebody else. It wasn't addressed to her. It's like yeah. she didn't even ask for an exemption and she got the email. So yeah. she sent the email. She looked at the email address and sent it on, forwarded it to the person who supposedly was supposed to get it. And what I've since learned from you is that like dozens of teachers oh, yeah. have gotten Yep, dozens of teachers got it. And this picture being one of those teachers who are waiting to hear back to get an approval from ADA and you get this and it's like, you've been approved for it and it's not even your name. Like, come on, you guys are sending this to hundreds of teachers saying that they got approved and it's not even for the right person. Like, you can't take this. You can't make this stuff up. Like, it's just unbelievable. So yeah, yeah. teachers got that. And like you said, I, I wrote that down when, when Dennis said it about happy and like happy my preschoolers being stuck at a table all day, not being able to play with one another. You know, you can't share toys. My whole day is about teaching social emotional skills, how to share, how to play with one another. That wouldn't be happening if I, if kids in the class were in the classroom, I can't do that. They'd be miserable. They wouldn't be happy. They'd be like, Oh, I'd rather stay at home. Like this is crap. I can't even play with my friend. I can't share toys with them. You know, and that can change once people get a vaccination, but happy far from it. The kids, yeah would be miserable sitting in that classroom all day. I, and I was just speaking just in terms of like what I was like, I was really thinking of my days as a high school kid when I was so unhappy in school, but that's just what I'm saying. Like you know, the happy little children frolicking in the school, dodging the mouse, the dead <laughs> right, mouse and the right. cockroaches. <laughs> Yeah, they're so the happy. Yeah. <laughs> wow, the heat doesn't work, guys. You spent a hundred million dollars. You didn't pay the heating bill. What's going on? Uh, so before we let you go, Slugger. And by the way, I know a Mama Slugger is listening. A little shout out to Mama Slugger, an old friend of mine. Um, 
Uh, what would you like uh, to say uh, to Lori Lightfoot uh, and uh, Janice Jackson? Clearly, they don't hear from teachers enough, and maybe they never ever see any teachers in their uh, routine life. There's no teachers on the school board. There's um, no teachers on the Chicago City Council. There's no teachers in the, the mayor's office. So maybe they never met a teacher. Uh, and, well, Janice Jackson was a teacher at one point. So maybe they haven't seen any teachers uh, recently. So what would you like to, in closing, uh, tell them what, that they should know? Um, teachers want to teach. We miss our students. I miss waking up every day and walking into my classroom and setting up and seeing my children's little smiling faces. And just right now, that's not possible. So when we can get there and when it's actually safe, not what you're saying on the TV and spreading these lies to people, but when it is actually safe, when schools are clean, when they're set up with proper ventilation, when we have the vaccination, we cannot wait to get back in our classrooms. But until then, we all completely feel unsafe and we do want do not want to risk our lives to teach our students in unsafe buildings. We are ready to remain remote until it is safe for us to be in those buildings. All right. Very good. Well, thank you very much for coming on. Maybe bring you back next week for an update. How about that? Sounds good. It was great being on. Thank you for having me. All right. Take care. Very good. All right, D. that was our mystery guest. Now back to the news. What you got for me? Big thank you to Slugger for being on the program. Well, I didn't want to, I didn't want to give Slugger's name out. It was so hard not to, because I've known Slugger since she was in fifth grade, as I said. <laughs> she did a great job. She did a really good job. All right. Let's go ahead and move on here. Uh, let's see. Oh, no public event scheduled for Mayor Lori Lightfoot. I won't just turn the car around. I'm going <laughs> to shut it off. I'm going to kick you out. And I'm going to make you walk home. And we have quite a bit of statewide news to discuss. But before we get to that, Ben, guess who just got another op-ed published? Thank you, Chicago, for this humbling victory. All I can say, you sure know how to make a guy feel at home. Don't sound too excited. For those who were unaware, from time to time, our former Chicago mayor, Rahm Emanuel, likes to channel his inner Ben Jarofsky by putting his political opinion onto paper and sharing it with the world with op-ed columns. He also channels his inner Ben Jarofsky with a podcast. Does he still do that podcast? I don't think so. I think he quit that podcast when he uh, (laughs) he stopped being mayor. Uh, It's a great loss to the broadcasting industry, I'm sure. But believe it or not, our host sharing his opinion on the mayor's political opinion tends to give us decent podcast segments. So let's read his latest work and see if we can get some award-winning content. Come on, Ben. Here we go. This Rahm Emanuel piece comes from Politico, and it's titled... How to Calm America's 100-Year Storm. (laughs) The violence on display during the January 6th Capitol insurrection has forced Americans across the political spectrum to ask what has gone so wrong. Beyond the horror of the underlying crime, the insurrection, not to mention the support it received from so many corners of our society, was an unmistakable symptom of a cancer in the body politic. Even amid a global pandemic and an economic catastrophe, finding ways to combat the underlying cancer and to root out the anger and dissatisfaction that drives it represents the thorniest and most lasting challenge the nation will face under President Joe Biden's leadership. I'm going to stop there. Ben, I sent you this piece this morning and you said you read it. Your thoughts, please. 
I did read it. I did not know it existed until you told me about it. So I mixed feelings uh, about it. one hand. I was having a great morning and then I read this thing. And uh, so I kind of wish it was so irritating and annoying. I hadn't read it. But I guess it's important to know what Rom's up to. And, uh, and I sent it on to Samina to get her thoughts about it as well. All right. Uh, what can I say about Rahm Emanuel? Rahm Emanuel is shameless. We all know that. Rahm Emanuel is all about promoting Rahm Emanuel. We also know he was a terrible mayor. I think it's pretty obvious that almost everybody in Chicago, well, not everybody, uh, the powers that be, the wealthiest people in the city of Chicago like Rahm Emanuel. And there's that very telling scene in City So Real, uh, the Steve James documentary about the 2019 mayoral election, when a group of well-to-do people are sitting around uh, Christy Hefner's uh, living room or penthouse, uh, and they're talking about what a great job Rahm did and how they wish Rahm was still the mayor and et cetera and so forth. So, yes. I would say uh, that the 1% uh, thoroughly appreciated Rom. But Rom ruled, how did Rom? Rom was like uh, a Mitt Romney Republican. Uh, and as such, he he called for reform. And then even in this essay, D, he's talking about like dealing with populist programs. He can't break himself away from these old instincts. And the old instinct is to talk about reform. And in Chicago and Illinois, when politicians talk about reform, they mean taking away programs that benefit like the great majority of people and then using the savings, in quote, to give more benefits to the 1%. That's what reform means in Chicago and Illinois. And it's just that word is thrown around. I've urged people, don't say reform. Don't say school reform. So when Rom first came in office, we just talked about this with Sam Holloway. When Rom first came into office, pension reform. What did that mean? Cutting pensions. So people dedicate their whole life to what? Being a firefighter, being a cop, being a teacher. Rom's going to cut their pensions and save the money. So he can do what? Give money for or handouts to big time developers like the Lincoln Yards developer or literally give money to Jeff Bezos. Uh, so Amazon, remember when Bezos was playing Rom and Rounder like fools? He had every single city and every single state like competing to see who would give him the biggest handout to build his headquarters. And then it turned out he didn't even really, he walked away from a deal in New York. He didn't like it. Ended up with a much smaller version in Virginia. But the point is, it's like that is exactly the kind of what trickle-down economics that just made so many people disillusioned with the Democratic Party. So for Rahm Emanuel to give advice to Joe Biden about what Joe Biden has to do uh, as we are in this critical moment in our history, I'd just like to take a, a moment to say it's the Rahm Emanuels of the world, the Democratic Party, who bear a big responsibility for the election of Donald Trump. There are so many people who don't believe Democrats at all. I know them, I see them all. Many uh, millennials who absolutely have no confidence in the Democratic Party they like Bernie because Bernie spoke directly to them. But the Rahm Emanuel's of the Democratic Party despised Bernie Sanders. They said Bernie Sanders is reaching too far, promising you things that he can't give you. He should you don't he shouldn't promise you uh, that your student loans will be forgiven, that public college can be paid for by uh, the government. No, that's too much. So here's Rahm Emanuel suddenly, a crisis that he had, a people like him had a large part in making. I mean, I could go through Rahm's administration. Everything he did was 
the opposite of what like people in Chicago wanted. Closed 50 schools, never gave a reason for closing the 50 schools, hastened the removal of black people from the city of Chicago. Isn't that interesting now? Chicago, we I forget how many uh, thousands and thousands of black people left the city. Whole bunch of reasons for them leaving the city. It was never considered a problem in the Rahm Emanuel administration. Rahm was all about using the tax dollars to promote gentrification, which forces people out of the city. He was using tax dollars to benefit the wealthiest neighborhoods in the city. Now, all of a sudden, now, all of a sudden, when we've seen the failures of those programs have resulted in people being so disillusioned with government that they turn to a huckster and a con artist like Donald Trump. Suddenly, Rahm Emanuel has like learned, oh, is giving advice. Why did he follow some of that advice when he was mayor, when it would have mattered? I don't know. The I watch. I don't watch the uh, George Stephanopoulos show, but our good friend Pat Whalen does, and from time to time he'll update me on Rahm Emanuel and Chris Christie. To me, epitomize everything that's wrong with politics uh, in the last decade. One was governor, the Republican governor of New Jersey. The other was the Democratic quote in quotes mayor of Chicago, and they were all about promoting themselves, and they were all about using tax dollars to help the wealthiest people, and they were all about telling everybody else to uh, go along with the reforms. So here we are. Nobody has much faith uh, in Democratic politicians. I shouldn't say nobody. I should say that the large numbers of people that you would expect to vote Democratic have no faith in Democratic politicians. And here comes Rom to give advice. Rom, don't give us any advice. That's my advice to you. No more advice. That's my advice. No more advice. That's my advice. I like it. All right. Uh, anything else you'd like to say there before we move on? No, I think more will be said maybe with Samina Mustafa when she comes on in about 15 minutes. She may have something to say about Rom. All right, let's move on to the statewide news. Today, Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker was at Morton East High School at noon to tour the Morton East Adolescent Health Center vaccination site. Ben, any guess as to what mascot Morton East would be? Uh, Morton East, yeah, that's Cicero. Uh, Morton East... I've seen their basketball team, uh, the Blue Devils. Is that your final answer, Blue Devils? Yes, I just pulled that from the sky. Are you sure that's your final answer? Yes. Yeah, you're wrong. It's actually the Mustangs. (laughs) Oh, yeah, Mustang salad. (laughs) There we go. Now, Ben, you're an avid high school basketball fan. It was just announced that the season will be returning. Will you be attending any Morton Mustangs games? No, but they're actually Morton Mustangs. I have to throw this out there. They had a pretty good team about six years ago. Uh, they, I saw them at the Proviso West tournament, and uh, they were pretty pretty good. Like a lot of ball movement. They had this big husky guy playing center. I still with the long hair. I love that guy. He was like six three. You could tell he annoyed the other players because he was just like this husky guy that leaned on him, looking more like a football player. You know that type when they play basketball. They're really annoying. Anyway, uh, I thought it was a pretty good team. Very disciplined ball movement. But I will not be attending any games until I get the vaccine. Sorry. I don't even know if uh, the story says, will they let, are they going to be letting uh, fans into the gyms to watch the games? I don't think they're going to be letting fans in. I think they're just going to allow the players to play. Isn't that correct, young man? You know, I'm not sure, but boy, it was an excellent segue for you to talk more about it, huh? 
<laughs> yes, you know, uh, I could do more uh, reminiscence of the must of the uh, Morton East Mustangs. Uh, Morton East, uh, primarily known for great uh, baseball teams back in the 60s and 70s. But uh, yeah, so it's interesting. They're going to open up uh, the basketball season. I think they're going to open, they're going to have football as well. And my, uh, when I read the article in the Tribune, my memory is the, I don't have it in front of me, that they're going to make the players wear masks. I didn't see that in the Sun-Times coverage, but I thought I saw the Tribune coverage. It's really interesting playing basketball with a mask. But you know what, Dave? My attitude is like, these, the kids are, are like losing their minds. They're probably playing basketball anyway. Uh, so it's sort of like opening the restaurants, you know? All right, you guys want to do it? Who am I to say no? I know that if uh, I had a high school kid at home uh, who was a basketball player, uh, had missed out on his or her, you know, senior season or junior season, they would be so upset. So I do believe there's some collateral uh, damage to uh, missing out on all. Like, oh my God, all the kids who couldn't be in the plays, who couldn't be in the uh, in the orchestra, just all these the moments that make high school almost endurable. We were talking about how the happy children, you know, that little press release that they said, the happy children frolicking through their classroom. Well, there were some things that made high school endurable for kids. For me, it was being on the White Sox fan club. You know, oh, wow. Every Wednesday, a White Sox fan club meeting. <laughs> and we had lemonade and brownies. And let's talk about the White Sox. Oh, it wasn't every Wednesday. It was maybe like once a month. But, you know, and then field trips to Comiskey Park to watch the White Sox play. Gee, that got me through high school, all right? <laughs> you know? And then the chess club. Me and the chess club. Hmm, oh, this one here. Also known as the white dorks meeting. <laughs> Actually, I, I was only in the chess club for about a day. Oh, this is too hard. <laughs> I'll just go back to the White Sox fan club. That's oh, a lot easier. So, yeah, I, uh, I'm very sympathetic uh, to... Um, the kids who are losing their mind in the middle of this pandemic is no joke. Um, so yeah, they're going to open up sports. I think they're, they're going to do all sports at once. D it's going to be like the gym will be packed. Oh, that's safe. I agree with Kyle on the live stream chat. He goes, uh, why are we doing this? No fans. We have to wear masks. Who is this for? <laughs> yeah. You read it's a valid point. Well, it's, it's for the, there's a lot of parents, Kyle, who really want to see their kids play. The kids want to play. I don't know. It's, there's just so much insanity out here because the reality is we're in a pandemic and it's a very dangerous time and you, you have to make adjustment adjustments for public safety and the adjustments are very painful. It's just across the board. It's not just in Chicago. I've got, I saw this in a, a story in the New York times or I think it was the New York times about the schools in Wausau, Wisconsin. Everybody's at each other's throats. You know, like the open the school faction is fighting with the close the schools, keep the schools closed faction. They're going at it. There was a, a school system in in Cobb County, uh, Georgia. This is just unbelievable, D, where um, uh, there's a faction the, of, the, of the school system that doesn't even believe in wearing masks. The teacher died down there. And uh, at, a, at a board meeting, one of the teacher's friends asked the board members, the school board members, to put on a mask just as a sign of what? Uh, appreciation for the career of this teacher that died. They wouldn't put the masks on. It was more important for them not to put a mask on and to show that they didn't feel they had to wear a mask uh, than to uh, 
honor this teacher who had died from COVID-19. So yeah, it's, it's an utterly insane situation. Uh, and part of it is the fault of the last administration, no doubt, uh, sort of led, led, led the, the crusade or the movement that somehow or other it was an infringement on your liberty to, to make you wear a mask and protect other people. So now we have like half the country that doesn't want to wear masks. And uh, they got, the other half wants to wear masks, but at the same time wants their kid to be on the basketball team. Utter madness, dear. We can't get these vaccines out soon enough. But no, got to take her time because the drug companies need to make their money. And you're talking about that high school in Georgia. That was uh, Alex Jones High, right? That was the name of it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Very good. Uh, we don't need masks. Ladies and gentlemen, I have the proof. How about that, D, huh? That's pretty good. Here, try it again. Now do it. We don't need masks, ladies and gentlemen. I have the proof. But first, I gotta sell you this water. Oh wait, what is he selling? <laughs> He's selling something. The neighbor, the neighbor thing. Remember? Oh, uh, I'm gonna be up my neighbor's ass. <laughs> it's actually I'm going to eat my neighbor's ass. But hey, we'll take. It. Wait, did he say I would eat my neighbor's ass? Yeah. Is that what he said? <laughs> oh my god. Ladies and gentlemen, you made that man very wealthy, Alex Jones. <laughs> There's a sucker born every minute, and a lot of them are watching the Alex Jones show and buying whatever he's selling. So there's that update on high school basketball. And, you know, it's been a snowy week in Illinois. And if you plan on riding a snowmobile at all, well, please listen up and take notes as Illinois Department of Natural Resources spokesperson Rachel Torbert gives you some snowmobile safety tips. First and foremost, when you're out on a snowmobile, never consume alcohol or drugs before or during your ride. Make sure you have a a friend or a buddy with you so that you've got somebody watching you Mm -hmm. and helping you if something goes wrong. Oh, I heard that. Rachel, anything else? Drowning is is one of those causes Mm. of snowmobile fatalities that we see because people, you know, they feel like the ice is probably thick enough. They take that sled out there and then find out too late that it's not. All yeah. right, moving on, huh? How about that? Uh, that inv- I'm sure a lot of people are following the advice. No drinking or drugging while you're out there snowmobiling. All our snowmobile uh, riders, you are welcome. All right, moving on. Let's talk about map redistricting. Ben, we may have a problem on our hands here. By the way, Ben, for those who may not be uh, uber local political nerds like you, what is map redistricting and why is it so important? Well, I know that everybody listening to this show uh, at this very moment on the live stream knows uh, what map redistricting is. But uh, so for the benefit of some of the uh, people who download uh, the podcast may not know, uh, we redistrict every 10 years after the census because there's this notion. Oh, God, I'm just warming up. I feel it coming on. I feel just like one of my obsessions about uh, to hit me. There's this notion embedded in the Constitution, that no one person's vote should be more significant than another person's vote. So if you have a legislative district that has 10 people in it, uh, and you have another legislative district that has 100 people in it, the people with in the 10-person district have, what, more legislative power than the other people because there's fewer people in the district, so they have more representation. And as we all know, uh, no taxation without representation. It's got to be equal. It's got to be fair. Now, what you're thinking, D, well, if that's so, Ben, 
And I know you're thinking this. I can read your mind. It's like a Gordon Lightfoot song. If I could read your mind, I'm reading this right now. I'm going to avoid the section of your mind that deals with pornography. I'm going to move to the next branch. Hey. And it, <laughs> uh, and you're asking, well, Ben, if no one vote should be greater than another, how come we allow the Electoral College? And that is an excellent question. In other words, the Electoral College is itself is a contradiction to this basic premise of democracy uh, that uh, requires us to do a redistricting every 10 years and exist. Why does electoral college exist? Because it benefits the Republican party. They're going to do absolutely everything they can do to keep it. Cause without the electoral college, they would be out of luck. <laughs> they wouldn't control anything. Anyway, where was I? Oh yeah. So every 10 years there's uh, after the census, we reapportion uh, we, uh, redo the boundaries of all the legislative districts to make sure that each district has more or less the same number of people in it uh, as the next district. So we're going to redo the ward maps in the city of Chicago. We're going to do the redo the legislative maps throughout the state of Illinois, the state Senate maps, uh, the uh, Supreme Court judicial maps, the judges, uh, their maps will be redone. Uh, redrawn and not just in illinois uh it happens through in all 50 states the congressional maps get redrawn we were just talking about this yesterday in an interview i did with a downstate democrat uh who knows i think illinois will probably lose a congressional district because the number of people in the state has fallen so there's going to be a real uh, scramble to see who gets uh, stuck in what district and who uh it just gets iced out completely. So there you go. Hope uh, that helped people out there who uh, may be confused on map redistricting. Uh, we're going to pause it right there for this story. We go to Illinois Politico. Shia Kapos did a bang-up job in explaining this in layman's terms. Well, she did the best she could. Shia Kapos in Illinois Politico writes, quote, a wrench has been thrown into Illinois' redistricting plans. The census data needed to determine how to redraw the boundaries for most every elected office in the state may not be turned over until well into the summer because of pandemic-driven delays. Detailed census data is usually delivered by the end of March, but this year states shouldn't expect it before July 30th, a spokeswoman for the U.S. Census Bureau said Wednesday. Uh, that was during a webinar with the National Conference of State Legislatures. Uh, this poses a scheduling problem. The Illinois Constitution requires that redistricting be directed by the State House of Representatives and completed by June 30th. If that deadline is not met, then a bipartisan committee must be formed. That would give Republicans a bigger say in a process that would otherwise be dominated by Democrats who hold huge margins in the chamber to determine how boundaries are drawn for the state house and Senate seats, as well as for city and county elected seats. Election attorney Michael Dorff expects House Democrats will have a workaround using census estimates so it can meet the constitutional requirement to have a map drawn by June 30th. Boy, what the hell did I just read there? Ben Jarofsky. Well, by the way, uh, Michael Dorff, we should bring him back to the show. He came on the show uh, not too long. Well, no, it was about a year ago. Anyway, I'll bring, uh, that, I just wrote that down. Michael Dorff can take us A to Z through uh, redistricting. Basically, what it means is that uh, Democrats are going to do everything they can to remain in control of the map drawn. And so this gets in the issue of fair maps. 
there's a movement of reformers. I put it in quotes because I'm very, as I uh, said before, very hesitant to use the word reform in regards to anything uh, positive that happens in Illinois or anywhere actually in, this, in the country. Uh, but there's a movement to uh, just draw maps without any regard whatsoever uh, to the politics of it. It's almost like you have a computer just design the boundaries so that all you need to is to have every district have roughly the same number of people in it. And that way, if you eliminate uh, politics, then you won't have these like super red MAGA districts that would never, ever, ever in a million years elect even a moderate uh, Republican, you know, even like a Mitt Romney type Republican. And then, of course, you wouldn't have all the packing of Democrats uh, into districts so that you really effectively dilute the power of Democrats by concentrating so many Democrats into one district instead of spreading them out. So they have more power. So as a principle, it's a great idea. However, if you just limit uh, it to the state of Illinois, all that does is give more power to the Republicans and take power away from the Democrats. Meanwhile, in the state of Wisconsin, <laughs> those Republicans who control the map writing process, they're not giving up their power. Michigan, they're not giving up their power. So uh, that's what uh, Shio Kapos is getting at. The, uh, the Democrats are going to do everything they can to make sure in the state of Illinois that they, the Democrats, are drawing the maps to meet their political objectives, which means drawing legislative maps uh, that maximize the voting advantages of Democrats and minimizes uh, the uh, voting strength of Republicans. Uh, so that's what they're getting at. So there you go. We're going to have to keep up on that story. Uh, the deadline is going to be happening very soon. Boy, how about that map redistricting talk, huh? Good times on the Ben Jarofsky <laughs> show. All right, everybody. Uh, that is our local news. Remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows, Benny J bonus interviews, and so much more at chicagoreader.com and wherever else you download podcasts. All right. If you listen on the download, by the way, check us out on the live stream chat sometime on the live stream uh, Tuesdays through Fridays, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time at the Chicago Reader YouTube channel. You can always send us an email, bennyjshow at gmail.com, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can call the Ben Jarofsky Show. It is true. All right. We have a phone number, 708 658 Four seven eight eight. The number again: seven zero eight six five eight four seven eight eight. Leave us a voicemail, and you know if you're not crazy, we'll more than likely play it on the Ben Jarofsky show. All right, Samina Mustafa is going to be coming up here. Samina, can you hear us? Yes. All right. Awesome. So far, so good. Here we can hear <laughs> Samina. She can hear us. All right. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk more with Samina Mustafa. Don't go anywhere.